Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. Today on the show is Keelan Sherlock, a singer-songwriter and so much more, from Cork, who releases his debut album Teenage Jesus this Friday, May 26th. Life's a performance, death is one last dance, canals that lead us through the flood. Hard not to notice the world's a broken shape of plateaus and mountain tops. We all like to see the underdog win. We all like to see. Keelan has his hands in a lot of pies. You might know him from a couple of other bands, including the Shaker Hymn and the Tan Jackets. He works with the Good Room Promotions, putting on shows in Cork and the likes of St. Luke's. And he's also one of the co-founders of Quarter Block Party, which returns after a few years hiatus this summer. It's running across Cork City on July 14th to 16th. I don't think any shows have been announced as I'm talking right now, but stay tuned. It sounds like it's going to be a good one. We'll talk about all that, and eventually we'll get on to his solo work and Teenage Jesus going through the album track by track. There's nine tracks on there, and we dig into all of them. Keelan has released a few singles and EPs over the years, both under his own name and previously as St. Keelan. Per the press release... Throughout his journey, Keelan's sound evolved from a pure folk style to a more experimental approach as he recorded numerous demos in the various homes he lived in while residing in Cork City. In 2019, he assembled a live band called The Big Children and began recording his first full-length solo output while taking a little break due to the old Covid situation. Having finally found a sound that he was comfortable with, he released several singles recorded with Brendan Fennessy of O Emperor. And now, finally, we get an album, as well as a tour. Keelan Sherlock and the Big Children are playing Prim's Bookshop in Kinsale on the 26th of May, Levis's in Ballade Hob on the 27th, Pharmacia in Limerick on the 3rd of June, Workman's Cellar in Dublin on the 26th of June, Fullock Fia Cafe in Manor Hamilton on the 23rd of June, DeBarra's Folk Club in Clonakilty on the 25th, and The Green Room in Cork Opera House on the 1st of July. Support across the tour includes Swimmers Jackson on a couple of those Cork dates, Laura Duff in Pharmacia, Fiona O'Connell in Workman's Cellar and Andy Wilson in the Green Room. This episode of the podcast is a long one. As you heard, Keelan likes to keep busy and we try to touch on all of the stuff that he's involved in. So we'll get into the chat. We're listening to the title track off the album Teenage Jesus at the moment we'll hear Don't Let Me Forget About Her to close out the show and in between we'll hear other bits and pieces from the album which you can get at keelansherlock.bandcamp.com here's Keelan on the Point of Everything podcast
we'll probably talk about loads of your different ventures <laughs> okay. for want of a better word but uh do you want to start with quarter black party the return of quarter black party yeah okay um well first of all news is that we've actually we're dropping the uh moniker of block party because it's technically not really a block party anymore uh, we weren't really thinking of, like after during lockdown we weren't really thinking of doing it anymore and then it just some kind of opportunities arose and then lots of people were like you gotta do it you gotta do it and i, f- I folded under the peer pressure of that <laughs> so yeah it's not really block party because if people have been before they'll know that it's mostly on north main street or in this like specific area of cork which has had all these different names like the Cork City Council are always trying to give it like the old town or, mm. you know, and they never <laughs> really stick. But also just some of the people we worked with in that part of the city aren't there anymore. And then other venues kind of wanted to be involved. So it made sense to kind of move it around the city. I'd love to make it specifically one part of the city, maybe the north side of the city. And we tried to do that. But as we might talk about, the venue situation in Cork doesn't really lend itself to... So I've heard. Yeah. Perennial problem. Um, no, like I think it, it's it's getting a bit better. And I think people are, or like venues are, they're just working in a different way maybe or something. There's people are pragmatic. That's what I'm trying to get to. There is a pragmatism that's going on with like Cork venues, I think. But when we were trying to kind of program quarter we ended up doing it like friday night in one part of the city saturday a different part and sunday a different part that's kind of the best thing we've managed to do with this year um so there's like collins plugged cork opera house like the green room of cork opera house <laughs> we're not we're not going that big <laughs> not yet not yet and then like friday night's all going to be up in st luke's so there'll be a gig in the griffith college followed by a little small gig on the stage in in live at st luke's okay and what kind of bands are playing? The Friday night is actually going to be ambient, <laughs> uh, electronic, and weirdo sounds. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be great. So there's Anna Palindrome, who's Neve Dalton's band. There's Jane DC, who's a composer, um, and Warren Levis. Both of them are living in Glasgow, but they're both Cork. Cork women and then Mantua which is Elaine Malone's kind of experimental side project and Flowers at Night do you know do you know Juno's it's kind of electronic it's great she so, she she works on one of the islands off West Cork isn't it yes yeah, yeah. Shirkin I think sure, yeah so yeah and that's gonna be on the stage in St. Luke's so it's gonna be nice it's all gonna be up in that part of the city and I'm also trying to do it in a more relaxed way like we've it's it's been a thing in the past where it takes up like months and months of my time and then I don't get to play music or or if I'm playing music it's not getting the like attention it deserves or whatever so I'm trying to be a bit smarter about it um and then we have this cool thing happening on the Saturday which is going to be like a performance marathon in the circus factory I actually don't know if that's completely confirmed but (laughs) it's definitely going to happen somewhere um and we're we were talking about like you know like talks and discussions and stuff like that like we do that a lot at quarter but we just thought it'd be nice to bring artists together but instead of talking we people would get chances to perform for like three to five minutes and so we're going to try to get as many people to perform and maybe have a big lunch together so it's like open to the public so everyone gets to kind of hang out and wow sounds like almost like an open mic yeah like an open mic for all different art forms um and the circus factory is kind of cool for that because if someone wanted to do aerial they could do that and then the next person could do spoken word and so yeah we've never done anything like that before um it's an interesting idea and 
yeah, it's a way of getting the kind of community aspect of bringing everyone together, you know. And it's great to see Quarter back as well because I mean I talked to some of the guys behind Failing Agrena last year and they name check you guys as you know an influence on what they do and it's just good that like you have these DIY festivals yeah. want of a better descriptor you know still going and like offering a space or spaces for new and upcoming artists yeah I see um like what they're doing is is great and like I think I'm a bit inspired by their way of doing the community side of things. It's it's. I'd love to bring more people. Shout out to anyone who wants to get involved. Um, I'd love to bring more people into that project and and make it a because it started as like four people like me and Rory who's still working out, Ashling O'Riordan who's at court now, and Esther Nemeti who is living in Brussels and works on different projects there. And the reason we started it was. Because with theatre and, and other art forms, not so much music, but with the other art forms in Cork, it felt like everything happened at one point in the year, which is the Cork Midsummer Festival, which is a brilliant festival, but it meant that everyone was making work and hoping to get programmed by this one festival. So we thought like, oh, there should be like a second opportunity, not at that time of the year, you know. That's how it ended up being in, in February. Um difficult time of the year to run a festival you end up doing graphic design on christmas day and stuff <laughs> so yeah we've moved it to july for this year and we'll see how that goes and yeah july is kind of a funny month because like just in terms of music festivals they're all kind of across june in mm-hmm. ireland anyway and then uh all in august it seems like july is kind of there there's only like maybe other side i think in slain is on in july but apart from that it's kind of an oddly, like, lacking month. Um, I hope it's a smart thing we're doing because uh, the good room, Joe and Ed, that I work with, <laughs> we don't have many things going on in July. And they were like, yeah, July's a dead month. No one ever does anything. And I was like, not this guy. <laughs> I'm putting on a festival. Yeah, I guess you'll find out for, like, for good or for bad, you'll yeah. find out why people don't put stuff on in July. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, it's all, like, as I was saying, it's kind of low-key and it's low kind of capacity venues and stuff like that so i'm not going to stress too much about it and like the lineup is mostly cork acts mainly because just our budget isn't huge so it's like we don't really have this the budget for accommodation costs for like 25 bands or whatever but also because cork is there's a lot of great music happening there and yeah i keep bringing up the venue thing i don't want to dwell on it but like there is like this little gap where there's like Collins and the green room now which are like 80 to 90 cap venues I think and then the next thing is probably like Cypress Avenue but when you close the curtains and make it like half the size um, which is cool but I don't think I'm not sure it's what there's a little bit of like defeatism I think for bands when they're like oh I'm gonna fill half that venue you know yeah so it would be cool to have a venue maybe 200 cap or something yeah the the cypress avenue though the whole venue i think is done really well you know they have um the place out the back which is only like 80 people and stuff you know they have like these different spaces around the whole venue which is good plus the cafe as well yeah it's amazing and they're they're booking stuff just like all through the week like they're so busy and and they're really supportive of local bands as well um but they take chances on like i saw proto martyr if, you know, not that Proto Martyr or a band you need to take a chance on, but <laughs> when you when they come to Cork, I don't think they're 
you you don't think you're going to sell that gig out and stuff. But they still bring them, and and those shows are amazing. You know, yeah. I was listening to Joe Kelly on the Twenty Four Stories podcast oh, yeah. uh, during the week. So you work with him, so you've probably heard all of the stories over the years. I, I've heard them all. Yeah. So like it's basic. So Joe arrived in Cork in nineteen eighty seven. Nineteen eighty eight. The city was almost like under the under the smog, and then he discovers Sir Henry's, and kind of he's responsible for so many um, clubs and different uh, nights out in Cork, and it certainly sounds like, you know. If people were to think of a heyday in Cork, they would think of the early 90s and they would think of Sir Henry's. But you've kind of mentioned it a few times. You think there's so much happening in Cork at the moment. I feel like I'm hearing a little bit less at the moment. Like living away from Cork is kind of interesting because you're just not in as as much. And I feel like I'm hearing a little bit less. But how do you feel maybe as a city as a whole it's doing musically and like the bands themselves? What What's going on? Like, it's really healthy. Like, the, the level of musicianship is so impressive. There's always new bands forming and, like, bands I'm pretty excited about. Like, I Dreamed a Dream I've seen a few times. They're great. I can't wait to see them. I've, I've Have you not just, seen them yet? No, I don't think so, but I've just heard so many good things. They're they brilliant. Great. It's really healthy. Like, one... Oh, I'm complaining already. One thing I'd love is, like, there's not really a place to go dancing in terms of, like, alternative... DJs or anything like that um, <clears throat> which like you were talking about Sir Henry's like there definitely was this heyday of Cork dance music um, and it would be great to see there's probably like tons of great DJs as well if there's if the if the music like original band music is kind of so healthy like there should be opportunity for DJs as well but even programming quarters quite hard to find a place to put people till two o'clock you know to go dancing uh, which is a bit unfortunate. Even until 2 o'clock. Like, Even until know. 2 o'clock, yeah. Yeah, so that's a bit of a shame, but I don't know if there's anything that... You know, like, there is this licensing thing that's going to change um, for bar owners or for club owners, and we'll see what happens. But the orig- the the uh, the first kind of initial reaction in Cork, I think, when that came out was like, but where would anyone open till 6 a.m., you know? Um, but, you know... You don't know what will happen, you know, down the line. That people could, like I was saying, there's a pragmatism, so people kind of change the the way they do things, and you just need some patience and time, I think, with that. Yeah, it was it was just mad to hear Joe talk about, you know, club nights on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, yeah. and now I'm like, you know, just one day a week is that even too much? Yeah, you know, can't that's... even do a Saturday. Really. <laughs> yeah. Like he was very pro, you know, small spaces. And I definitely yeah. recommend people listen to that podcast because it was really, really good. Um, but he was kind of like, you know, I feel like the future is maybe like a hundred cap, mm-hmm. which is kind of like, you know, it's it's good on the one hand. I've been to, you know, Tengu and Lumo and Tengu yeah. and stuff like that. And it's good. But also, I don't know, I love the idea of like the huge communal, maybe festival feel of like yeah. thousands of people all together. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I guess... When I was younger in the PAV, that was like 400 cap and you could get that kind of atmosphere going sometimes, uh, depending on the kind of DJ or whatever. I mean, sometimes you go to other cities like I've been to Lisbon and they have a lot of that kind of there's more opportunity in European cities, I think, for small places to be open late. They're not paying through the roof for like licenses and stuff like that. And then it, it means that they can do kind of exciting things in those spaces that I think he's probably right. Like. I was in a bar in Munich last summer and it probably held like 15 people and they were open till like 4am and it was a great atmosphere and 
that's what I'd love to see, those kind of spaces where people don't need to worry about selling like thousands worth of drink, you know. And that place wasn't really about selling drink either. It was like there was a a girl DJing in the corner and they're making cocktails. I was like, there's no way they're making like tons of money here, but it was a great atmosphere. And it was just like hundreds of people outside, was it? Or No, no, it was just like, it was just a tiny space kind of just randomly on the street. Yeah, I guess they just are happy with 15 people and it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Um, you recently completed an MA in music technology at the MTU Cork School of Music. What made you go back to college? Was it just something to do during lockdown? It was a little bit like that. Well, there was a moment during lockdown where there was like an opt-out moment of music where you could be like, maybe I should get a real job. Oh, really? Definitely. And, yeah, and yeah, that happened to a lot of people, I didn't think it, it did, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I kind of got close. I was looking at other things I could do that might make money. <laughs> uh, and then I was like, no way, I hate money. <laughs> um, no, so I was looking at different courses and then eventually ended up looking at music courses all over Europe. And I was like, yeah, like maybe when lockdown's over, I'm going to move to another city. And then I eventually realized that like the Masters in Cork was one of the best ones. And it was like five minutes from my house. And so, yeah, I, I applied and I started it while lockdown was kind of still happening and then finished up just as it was that was ending so it was, a, it was a good opportunity as well for me to I didn't have to really work yeah you know like there was no work to be doing anyway yeah. so it was really good yeah and it, I think it helped focus my mind on music again in a like serious kind of way maybe like before lockdown I was like managing a bar and I was playing gigs and I had a plan but I probably wasn't like sticking to that plan at all I was getting distracted and stuff whereas the masters kind of helped me be like oh yeah I love this I'm gonna get better at it every day (laughs) and eventually I'll know everything I need to know and that's kind of since then I've been on that kind of path I think uh, which is exciting for me anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Do you like having all of those jobs to like do they get in the way of your own musical output or work? Yeah, definitely. Like, I kind of wish I didn't want to run a community arts music festival, <laughs> but, but I, I do. <laughs> but I do. I kind of can't help myself, and I always say like, I'm done with that now. I'm not doing that anymore. Or like the work, my like my day job working with Joe and Ed's that you were talking about there. I get a lot of that like creative kind of organizing, and I get a lot of that from that job, and that's enjoyable. That's a kind of a big change. But then I play in like, apart from my own band, then I have like the Shaker hymn as well. And then I'm in about, I'm in the Tan Jackets. I play, I don't tell many people about it, but I'm in like a Cajun slash Cumbia music a band called Two Time Polka. Um, so like I'm busy playing music, so I kind of get a 50-50 split between the two. But overall, like I, I see people, friends of mine who are in bands and they just really like stick to that. And I see them kind of, I don't know if I'd say doing better, but... Certainly, I, I think, like, oh, I wish I just had that drive to do the one thing really well all the time, you know? <laughs> yeah, just focus all your energies on the one thing. But it's good yeah. to spread it out. Yeah, as I was saying, I just can't help myself. I just Keeping keep your getting, fingers in all the pies. Yeah, and, like, in my head, it's all the same thing, you know? It's all music, and it's all, like, enter not entertainment, but it's all bringing people together in one way or another. And I've been playing in bands since I was, like, 16. So even, like... I was at Waxahachie last night in the Pepper Canister and 
I find it hard to turn off when I'm at other people's gigs. I'm I'm actually more comfortable playing gigs uh, and can turn my brain off and enjoy a gig more when I'm playing it. <laughs> and it's not really like necessarily about like me, 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 like I want everyone looking at me. It's just my brain turns off into like a satisfying place where I'm at other gigs. I can be like, hmm, I just need to send those emails now because I'd like to play. <laughs> and I, I'm like, stop, listen to the music. You know? Yeah, I know people who like, you know, are involved in putting on gigs and stuff. And they're always just, you know, the sound was terrible at that gig. Yeah. You know, they can't switch it off. And like, I've only put on a handful of gigs in my life. And I kind of hated it because it was like, <laughs> you put on the gig, but you don't get to actually watch the gig. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you're worried about all of the other stuff. So um, I don't know. I'm glad that I don't have that going around my head you know yeah I, I don't know when that happened that I started getting involved in every single aspect of it um I don't I, I didn't I wasn't like growing up being like I want to be a music promoter and and run a festival like I didn't want I wanted to play music but you kind of just pick things up you know you get like jobs here and there just to make ends meet and then suddenly you're like oh I know lots about PAs and how to install them and you know I now I know a lot about timetabling a, a, or scheduling a tour or whatever um, and then you're just like I guess it all f- kind of falls into the same box yeah it's all a learning curve and it helps like I'm doing pretty much all of the like for my for this album that I'm releasing it's it's really hard but I I'm now I have all the skill set to do those things like I know I know most of the not most there's probably hundreds of promoters I don't know but I know lots of promoters that I can just talk to um and and I know how to email people in the appropriate way you know um and I know how to promote my gigs and my album and like one thing I'm trying to do is go like really old school with promoting the gigs and like I have a gig in Kinsale is the first date of my tour um actually this was Joe Kelly keeps coming up, but he was the one who was like, you should just go down and do those posters yourself because you'll meet all the people in Kinsale. I was like, that's great. So I think I'm going to do that as much as I can on the store, like just go postering the like old school like I used to do when I was 17. Just go to the town. Just go to the town and meet people and poster it. And I won't do Manor Hamilton. That's too far away for me. (laughs) Well, I guess what allows you to do that is that you also pass your driving test. Uh, yeah. I've said more than once on this podcast, <laughs> I've referenced a Lemmy uh, interview in Kerrang from like 2003 that I remember reading. And like his tip was just like all musicians should learn how to drive. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like that's a top tip. I just wish like when I was in school, me and like Shane, who plays drums in the shaker room, like we were so wanted to be in a band and we're just when when they got to leaving certain time they were like what are you guys thinking of doing we were like we're gonna be in a rock band and instead of being like you should think of something else they were like okay they should have said get a driving license um you know like they should have had all these i'd love to go to schools and be like these are the things you need to be a musician <laughs> the re- the realistic stuff there are there's <laughs> definitely tips that they could like learn to do your own sound like buy a small pa like just learn how to do everything <laughs> yourself because um, well, I finished school and so the music industry probably seemed like it was a thing in 2007. Now it's like you got to do everything yourself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess so that this tour that you have coming up in May and June, it's going to be you all on the road driving to all of the gigs as well. That's kind of something yeah, to look forward to. That's new. I drove to my first gig in Galway. Um, well, I had my housemate, Roisin, who owns the car, had to come with me because I was still on my <laughs> learner permit. Um, and that, But it felt so um, easy in a way that I was like, wow, has it 
have other people had it like this the whole time. You could just drive from your house to the gig and not be like sweating when you show up and <laughs> have like, oh, I've had like stuff robbed on the Lewis because I just put it down next to me. And oh, man. Yeah, all the horror stories. Okay, we won't talk about the horror story. Well, I mean, like, <laughs> if they come up over the, over the next half an hour, we'll see. Um, but yeah, we've talked about all of this other stuff, but you do have an album coming out. It sounds like you had one ready to go in 2020. It sounded like it might have been ready to go then. Is this the same album, or did you go um, take it back to the drawing board? It's probably half the same album, because there was a few tracks that I released on an EP during lockdown, which... In hindsight, probably wasn't the greatest idea. I didn't need to do that. I just was, again, I was bored and I was like, what if everyone forgets about me? <laughs> so I, I've, I wanted to, but but that helped with two things. Like it helped me kind of figure out how to package the album and how to just bring the whole thing together. Like, you know, I hadn't really, I've done that with the Shaker Hymn, but there's a few of us involved and it's a lot more work doing it yourself. So just getting on to people to do covers for singles and albums and figuring out the like time that you need to get it up on Spotify and all those things. Um, that was a good learning curve for me. But then it meant that I took four songs off the album to put on the EP. But I think it's made the album more its own thing because those songs didn't really fit with the kind of the other five that were on it, which that was one good thing about lockdown. It gave me so much time to be like, you know what, when I listen, these songs don't actually go together. But I don't think I would have listened as intently over such a long period of time because um, I would have been running around trying to run festivals and stuff. <laughs> so, it, yeah, it was good. It's a different album, and I wrote a few extra songs. And like Teenage Jesus, I wrote during the very first few weeks of lockdown, which is, you know, the name of the album. And I think it kind of it weirdly tied the whole thing together uh, sonically and then kind of thematically as well it just put like a, a full stop to the rest of the songs kind of the the song itself yeah i think so yeah there's a there's a bit of um like anxiety in that song but what mixed with like kind of just not taking it too seriously which was exactly how i felt the first few months of lockdown just like freaking out but being like oh this is so, so weird right guys ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, so funny that like so much so many albums have come out of lockdown like you know that started writing around the start of it and stuff like that i mean uh, there was people talking you know taking us back to that heady time in march and april 2020 yeah. and there was <laughs> talk of like you know it's okay not to do anything but then people were able to kind of do stuff as well and eventually get albums out of it as well so yeah. ultimately like a fruitful time for a lot of people as well is that how you kind of are able to look back with hindsight without dwelling on it too much, I suppose. Yeah, I felt like I was going like a hundred miles an hour until like that day that we like I was at work and we were like, oh, let's just see what this speech is about. And suddenly it was like, okay, go home and don't come back until we tell you to. And until that moment, I was just like zoom on the highway of just trying to get so much stuff done. And then when I stopped, it was like it was just like the silence. Even though like we we live in Cork City, kind of like two minutes from the city centre. But you, there was no roads on, or there was no cars on like the dual carriageway, which just meant like there was a silence that I had never heard mm. before. And it was... And you'll probably never hear again. Never hear I again. I remember that as well, yeah. Yeah. And that was beautiful. And that was the kind of like, yeah, that, if that silence could be a, a whole feeling, that was the feeling. It was just like, wow, just you can just stop. Um, now, it was also really worrying 
and I was like yeah. calling on my family being like are you staying again <laughs> I don't think you are so there was that but there was nothing you could do about it so yeah it was kind of why why bother <laughs> worrying because there's nothing you can do you know mm. so yeah I like I, I set up a little studio I, I put a photo on Instagram of it recently um, I set up a studio in our like spare room that we have in our house but then my girlfriend Ruth had to start working from home so she took the spare room so then I ended up setting up the studio like I'd take the ironing board out every morning and I'd prop that up and I'd put my laptop and my interface on it and I'd just <laughs> needs must yeah very needs must and I got like so much done like I, I recorded the strings for one of the songs in my front room well that was actually that was like months later when you were kind of allowed to have one person over uh, so Neve Dalton, who played fiddle on it, she came over and but she was like skating at me because I had my ironing board table set up, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was kind of needs must, but it was just like gave me loads of time to mess around and like there's nine songs on this album, but I probably have another album and a bit ready to record um, and kind of demoed from that time as well. Did the album kind of reveal itself to you in terms of the themes? I mean, like there is. A, a lot of talk of dreaming in the album I suppose you know I was a teenage dreamer you mm. sing on the title track then I'm dreaming you sing on shades of you that's one of the things that jumps out at me you already kind of mentioned the anxiety or the self-anxiety as yeah. well are, are those kind of all themes that you wanted to kind of parse or, yeah or is I'm... that just kind of like afterwards you're like oh I'm talking about dreaming a lot um, well, it's it's definitely that, but I think like I also have <laughs> I have another song on my EP called Sleeping. Oh my God, I can't even remember the name of the song. <laughs> Sleeping on Me, Dreaming of You. Oh, okay. Uh, which is another dream related song. I have a real problem with sleeping in general. Um, in a bad in a bad sense. In like, a bad sense, oh, okay. yeah. And um, so it and I think a lot of like I get a lot of anxiety from that. I figured out this like insane routine that works for me where I like fall asleep on the couch every night to like a Ken Burns documentary. <laughs> but it's again, it's it's probably me exercising all of those like worries. Like the reason I can't sleep is because I just can't shut my brain off and I'm like thinking too much. So I guess a lot of that kind of comes out in the songs. Um, and I do just kind of, there's something about dreaming that I'm just like really drawn to. It's kind of like melancholic and sweet at the same time. But then you can also kind of rap worries into into the idea of dreaming as well um i i get a lot out of dreaming i'm like um i'm to dreaming what the beach boys are to surfing <laughs> there we go there we go let's just take a moment there um do you keep it like a sleep diary or anything do you actually analyze the dreams or is it just like no i don't just know. in general yeah maybe i should maybe i get a whole project out of the wild stuff yeah, I don't know. It's just it's been that it's been that way since I was like fifteen. I just couldn't. I I, I have a real problem with sleeping, um, and I actually have to stop writing songs about it because I have too many. I just thought of another <laughs> one I have, and I'm like, that's embarrassing now. That's probably five or six songs. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's something about the middle of the night as well as like um, a kind of in, an inspiring part of the day i guess it's like that's when all the weird stuff happens yeah that's where the weird thoughts come out as well <laughs> um so like yeah during the day if you can tap into how weird you felt the night before then there's probably some weird good stuff in there you know, <laughs> through the juices
talk through some of the songs on the album. We'll talk through all of the songs on the album, hopefully. So the first line of the whole album, you say, they say you have nine lives, which one are you going to do? I don't know about nine lives, but like we've already talked about how many jobs you have. I think the press release that I got lists nine jobs. <laughs> a potato picker, a Santa Claus, a temp at an ill-fated music store, an obscenely quiet busker. <laughs> Yeah. A barman, a sexual health teacher, he sold vases <laughs> and scarves at flea markets and played the part of a moving picture at a Harry Potter themed <laughs> wedding. Like all great. Um is is there any in particular that you want to talk about? Uh I'm interested what kind of a Santa Claus you were. I was only eighteen when I was doing that and I was I was like a sandwich board guy, you know, like I was like, Come into this flea market and I was dressed as Santa and I would get <laughs> so much hassle off people being like <laughs> like you're way too skinny and young to be <laughs> yeah that was a good job do, do you know the the funniest one there is the harry potter themed wedding that was actually me and my mom were the were the people who'd welcome people coming into the wedding and we were dressed as um like i had like a kind of one of those gray wigs on you know and i'd be like oh hello so i was like meant to be like one of the pictures in harry potter and this is the best bit it was for the tv show weddings by frank wow yeah so you're on TV doing this? Um, yeah, I was on. Yeah, I was on like for about 0.5 of a second. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> the reason I put that into the press release because I was like, I've, I don't feel like those things are separate from also being a musician. I think they all like inform, yeah, who you are and stuff. Like I was saying with the sleeping thing, I can't help but kind of see the what I'm doing in that like moment as kind of like a bit ridiculous or. Maybe like you're just like play, you're currently just like playing the part of a potato picker or whatever, you know, just to either make money or just get through the day, you know. But I, I enjoy it, like any job I do as if it's the same as being a musician. I think they're all just part of you. And so I didn't I, I just felt weird when I was like writing a pr- press release where I was like, I've done all these music things. And it's like what I've been doing all the rest of the time like (laughs) all these musicians who were like I've just been in my bedroom writing the greatest album of all time like yeah but you have a nine-to-five like we all do and I just thought I felt like I was lying by not like including all the (laughs) kind of weird things I get up to an obscenely quiet busker I'm presuming that you don't do busking anymore that's something that you kind of do when you're maybe a little bit younger yeah I was younger I was way too quiet but again like a learning curve as well I'm guessing yeah did you um, get louder as you went along or quieter? I got louder, but then my voice couldn't do it. So I, I was just like stuck in this place where it was too quiet for people to hear me. But then it would like ruin my voice when I tried to sing. But I have like good memories of doing that. Like I would do it during the summer. And like I met, um, yeah, when I was busking, I met, I was playing Substitute by The Who, which is probably, I mean, I, I was too quiet to be singing it. It's not a song you should be playing on acoustic guitar. Um, but I was kind of just getting into the who at the time and this man came up to me and he was like oh that's a brilliant song I'm friends with the who and I was kind of like yeah okay whatever it turns out it was um, this kind of guy who's like a bit famous in Cork and the who have a song about him (laughs) and I think maybe the Frank and Walters have a song about him as well he's a a bus he used to be a bus conductor Uh, Irish Jack Jack the Mod there's loads of different names, but he's like, he's a lovely guy. And in the end, he was like, do you want to have a cup of tea? And I was like, I don't know who's this guy bringing me for a cup of tea. But in the <laughs> end, we had like great chats about what London was like in the 60s. And um, 
actually I met him a few years later and I told him because just before I met him that day someone had like shouted at me and I was really kind of in a bad mood and sad and he kind of cheered me up I met him a few years later and I told him that story and, and he really he, he was like that's great I love that boy and uh, he sent me like clippings of articles he'd written in NME and pictures oh, wow. of him with the with the who was up so like it was a difficult job but I I have all these kind of fun memories of that happened out of it <laughs> very good the main influence that jumps out at me on wheels come off is the war on drugs you know kind of the sound of it kind of reminds me of that and the guitar solo as well that takes off towards the end of it were they an influence on you as a whole maybe yes it wasn't where the song started but as it kind of emerged one thing that happens with me and brendan who produced the album with me is that we get a little bit silly when we're in the studio Mm -hmm. so and that's definitely Brendan's fault. <laughs> He'd often be like, I think we should get like real 80s electric piano on this, you know. And I'd be like, okay. Um, and then we we start having like so much fun with it that it kind of grows legs. So that, that kind of started more like a country song and then turned into this kind of... Um, and the more I would play it live as well, <laughs> just remembered the last time... I haven't done a live gig in ages with the band, but before lockdown, we started like we'd have like this five minute intro, intro it was like piano and guitar. And then I found that clip of Garth Brooks that he put on Facebook like 10 years ago where he's in, where he's in, he's just joined Facebook. I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's so good. Um, and he's really sincere as Garth Brooks always is. And he's <laughs> like, if this is a way that I can, you know, stay in contact with my fans, then I'm going to do it. I don't really understand it. And it's just so over the top. Um, so I started like putting that into the start of the set and kind of <laughs> using clips of Garth Brooks talking and stuff. So it was like a country song, but the more we played it live, it grew into this kind of like behemoth rock song. Um, and then, yeah, there was a point where I was like, make the drums like the war on drugs. <laughs> and the guitar solo, I that was the first time I ever played a guitar solo. Because <laughs> in the Shaker hymn, Robbie is lead guitar player, so he does all that. So I was... I was loving life doing that. That's, that's what Dave Grohl says as well, that he's just a rhythm guitar player. You know, he stays away from solos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen him do a guitar solo. Yeah. Well, I've got one up on Dave Grohl. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so the Brendan that you mentioned is Brendan Fennessy, who used to be in O Emperor. He's got his own solo stuff as well. I was talking to Phil from The Bonk as well, and he he talked about Brendan's influence as well, just like working with him. But it also seems like half of Cork as well kind of works with Brendan now too. He's almost uh, responsible for half of what we're hearing out of Cork, it seems. Yeah, totally. I guess, yeah. Was he a big kind of sounding board or even um, co-creator of the album? Yeah, definitely. As I was saying, we get a bit ridiculous when we're in the studio together. But I guess from being in like a band where there's other people and it's like a kind of a democracy between... Like in the shaker room, there's like four voices and you were kind of figuring it out like that. I found it uh, much more difficult to decide on stuff because it was just me and there was no one to be like. Like I always say that the that making an album is just people in a room being like, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Do that, you know. And so when I started doing it on my own, I was like, oh, there's no one to say whether it's cool or not. So like that's what and like Brendan is just the kind of music he's into. He's a real encyclopedia and he likes to try things out. Like one of the songs, Nancy and Lee, he did this drum thing and I was like, that's not going to sound cool. And it's probably the best drum sound on the album. It's just two mics uh, and I love it. But he was like, yeah, well, it's Nancy and Lee, so we should try to do a kind of Lee Hazelwood style production on it, you know. And I just was like, 
that's why I really love working with him. He he brings it to a place that's sometimes it's like that's the obvious thing we should do, so let's just do it. But then he like really goes for it one hundred and ten percent. You know, candidate is the second song on the album. You say that this began as an attempt to rewrite a version of Bob Dylan's "It Ain't Me, Babe." but it turned into tongue-in-cheek commentary on the political establishment. Is Bob Dylan another influence? Like, is he he's just, like, someone that you have to name-check almost, I'm guessing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always thought, like, if you're not trying to be the best, like, he's the best. And if you're not, like, trying to be as good as, like, the, the masters, it's not like that. I'm not saying, like, I'm as good as them, but, like, over your lifetime, I don't think, like, I've written the best music I'm ever going to write because I just assume you learn your craft and you get better and better and stuff. And like Bob Dylan, um, Neil Young, I guess. I love, like, do you know who I love is like Nick Lowe and there's some people they just get, like get better with age. So when they're releasing albums in their 60s, they're like, that is just masterful stuff, you know. Um, the candidate thing was I had kind of two songs and they both kept having the word candidate in them. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. It could be like, I'm not like, it ain't me, babe. You know, like, I'm not your candidate. Like, don't vote. For, you're not. Don't, don't focus on me. I'm not the person you're looking for. But I just kept writing verses that were, um, I guess, sign of the times. I just kept getting kind of annoyed and writing verses that were political. And then I just couldn't do anything with the song for ages because I was like, they don't work. It doesn't work to have like a verse <laughs> that's political. And then a it ain't me, babe chorus. Until one day I was like, what am I talking about? That totally works. That's cool. <laughs> like, you know, um, so I kind of changed it to be and like I do this a bit. I changed the focus instead of being like me outwards to, you know, to be like, I love you or something. I change it more to be like, I'm a fucking idiot. And, you know, I like focus it on this like idea that I'm like a terrible candidate or whatever, you know, it's not me saying I'm terrible, but it's like. Oh, that's funny. That's funny to be the worst person in the song or the worst character, you know. So I've I've done that a few times. I'm not 
is politics something that you were kind of like, oh, I've written a political song. How did that happen? Is it, like, was it an intentional kind um, of a thing? How can I not write? I actually, I can't believe it's taken me so long. Like, we have <laughs> probably the next Shaker Hymn song that we've recorded, but I don't even know if we'll, I don't even know if we'll tour or what we'll do. But we have a song called "Eat the Rich," which I. <laughs> I, I guess I'm coming into some new wave of political satire writing. Um, yeah, I've always kind of been interested in politics, but I find, like, it's rare that you find kind of preachy political music to be, like, good. It's usually, you know, it's usually the worst thing in someone's back catalogue. Um, so I just kind of stay away from it unless you can make it kind of enjoyable or... Yeah, I don't, I don't really like the, like, preachy... Like, Neil Young has a few anti-war albums and you're like love the sentiment not a great <laughs> not a great record though um i'm presuming that uh dylan comes up a lot when you play with the tan jackets kind of covers band mm. that you're in with dan walsh cahill mcgowan from the altered hours and uh, sullivan kelly playing drums sullivan drums um what do you get out of that is it just good to this is just covers it's nothing else it's just like the hits yeah and do, do you do you ever see it being more than that? We do have some original songs, which again, we, oh, we yeah, we wrote during lockdown oh. um, and we never really put, I don't, we don't play them at gigs. I think we played two of them. So we do have stuff we wrote and we might do something with it, but I mean, we started the Tan Jackets as um, as a distraction from your, your main yeah, band again. Yes, another <laughs> distraction. We started it by accident because I had a gig uh, in Cork like a cover band gig and the, the rest of the band hadn't didn't think I had confirmed it so I was like oh god what do I do like uh, uh, you know I just wanted the money on a Wednesday night I was like oh I need I need that hundred euros that I got paid <laughs> and I was with Dan and Carl who were just like well we'll just do it we have 24 hours let's put a set together and because it wasn't like a gig that we thought would ever happen again we just picked like kind of the most insane set like MC5 songs um, and we do a lot of the Sonics tunes and like the sonics are a lot of their songs are covers but they do them with this like real intention that you know it's the sonics it's not like um yeah it's not it's not like those 60s covers where they're just like oh we got to do our version of it to make money off you know the sonics like rock so hard when they do their own or when they do other people's songs so that was the intention it was like let's rock as hard as the sonics and then the gig went well so they offered them now it's like eight years later and we just have a great time like yeah, it just looks like it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And like a lot of the time we'll finish the gig and be like, wow, I really needed that. Like I didn't realize it, but I got a lot out of just, there's a lot of shouting and hollering. And like I said, I never did a guitar solo, but the Tan Jackets has really helped me just be like, don't worry about it. Just start wailing and figure it out, you know. And it's it's all pretty much about intention from what I can you know get out of it it's 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 less about whether you're like playing in like dorian scale or if you're doing the right you know sometimes i'm sure we play some of the wrong chords to some things but we do our version of it yeah yeah <laughs> teenage jesus is the third song this is the album title you kind of talked around it where, where did the actual title itself come from well the stories i was watching so lockdown happened and then i just started watching like match of the 70s and i started watching all these tv shows uh, <laughs> on youtube and um and then yeah then i started watching friday night lights which i was like oh that's kind of like a lame show from when we were in school right and then i turned out it was like 
Everyone's going to hate this. It's better than The Wire. It's better than Sopranos. Oh, <laughs> it's a great <laughs> TV do show. It. Don't do it, Gila. But there was something about lockdown and this feeling of like, have we messed up the world? There's also like, there was time to consider like climate change and all these things that you were like, okay, I don't have time to distract myself because I'm just at home all the time. And then it was like, wow, is the world super fucked? And that was where the song began right when I'm like, life is a performance, death is one last dance. I was kind of having a laugh, but then I'd go downstairs and watch Friday Night Lights and just like turn off my brain. And I was like, oh, there's a kind of weird thing going on here where they're like, that show is about potential and about not knowing how to use it and, and coming up against like obstacles and stuff. And I was like, that kind of fits with that song I'm writing. And then I did a gig and I was singing, I was a teenage dreamer, which is what the show Friday Night Lights is kind of about. And then I accidentally said I was a teenage Jesus and everyone on the, I was doing like a Zoom gig, or not a Zoom gig, uh, I don't like know. Like a live it? stream. Yeah, like a live, I think it was Instagram live or something. And people were like, that's way better. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, that is way better actually. So yeah, then I just called it Teenage Jesus. Um that's probably my favorite song in the album, I think. Do you know what's good about that song that I enjoy as well? Is that I demoed that all at home and then again was like, ah, oh, I'm so bored, like i got to finish this. So I sent it off to people. Um, like my buddy Fiekra is in Dublin. He played drums on it, sent it back. Amazing. Um, sent it then to Brian Dunley, who, who was like, yeah, this is a great song. And then he sent it back and he had like put synth and normal bass on it, which I never would have thought of. Um, so it was like, yeah, I was sending it to friends of mine who were putting stuff on it. Kind of, it was. It also feels like the only one I kind of self-produced on the album because a lot of the ideas were in the demos I sent. But it was great to like collaborate with people in the middle of lockdown and come back with like not nothing. It was a variation of what if I had sent them, but it was it was much cooler. Everyone did a cooler version of what I had sent, you know. Mm. And so that was kind of exciting. Uh, I can't get over the Friday Night Lights thing though. I, try, I mean, I watched it years ago, but I don't think I made it past the second season. I think the second season is one of the worst thing series of TVs, TV shows I've ever watched. It's so bad. It's just like... Interview over. <laughs> it's like, uh, did you ever watch Homeland? Yes. Homeland, another brilliant first season, and then like completely like went off the rails in the second and third season. So. Um, Homeland is one of my least favorite things where they have this like, FBI agent and but her whole character is that she's a hot mess and she doesn't know how to and I'm like well how is she an FBI agent like she must she must have something together I'm going to defend Friday Night Lights that second season is brilliant but <laughs> it's also the season that um I think the writer's strike was happening at the time do you remember that so they cut down from like a tw- oh my god this is the Friday Night Lights podcast they cut down from 25 episodes to like 15 or whatever so, you know, a lot of storytelling got cut out of it. <laughs> so bad. It did give the world Jesse Plemons, though, so that's a good thing. Oh, it's, I just... Maybe maybe I was in a different place at Star Lockdown. I just needed that show. Uh, Shades of You. This is an old song. Why did you hang on to it and some of the others on the album? I, there's a few... There's, like, three songs that I kind of released years ago, and I, I considered actually taking them off the internet and then putting them back on when the album was released. But I, they're just kind of the they're the beginning songs for me, and seeing as it's my first album, it just felt like they should go on the album. This is probably a it's a little bit of a greatest hits of the things I've been doing the last few years. <laughs> it's a little bit of like a an end point for a bunch of songs and a bunch of ways of working. 
Um, like I think the next album already I'm recording it kind of sounds a good bit different. So it just it felt like I'm gonna put it on vinyl. I'm gonna I'm gonna sell it to people. I want them to hear the stuff that I'm like proud of from the last few years. Um, and Shades of You I think is the first thing I recorded with Brendan. I th- I think it's the first song that you put out as. Keelan Sherlock yeah. as well it used to be called Saint Keelan yes yeah beforehand right. as yeah. well yeah and I think with with that there was a difference there with the like Saint Keelan thing where I was just like I didn't really know what I was doing I just knew that I had extra songs from the bands that I was in weren't using them and I, I really thought they were good they should be released and then I realized I was doing this thing with the Saint Keelan thing that I in my head I thought well if it doesn't work I can drop the Saint Keelan and, and go with a different name and when I realized that, I was like, you idiot. Like, either go in and do it 100% or don't do it at all. So I, like, dropped it, and then I thought about the songs a bit more. And so, yeah, that Shades of You is when I thought, like, okay, this is what I, like, this is who I am. Um, this is the sound I'm going to go with. Um, yeah, I felt more real. <laughs> Going from St. Keelan to y- your own name, Keelan Sherlock, did you think that it would be a solo thing? Because now you, then you kind of had Keelan Sherlock and the big children as well, your yeah. band. Did you always want it to be a band? Did you want it to be a solo thing? No, did I you think, think about it too much? No, I, was, I think it was going to be a solo thing. Like I had figured out as well a lot of the songs, like I had to play them like drum machine, acoustic guitar. I had done a good few gigs at that point where I had figured out what I was going to do. And then when I went to work with Brendan, I'm trying to think if there was a time where I needed a band for a live show. I don't think so. I think we started recording the album with some um, like Cork musicians that I was like, yeah, I'll get them in. And then it just worked really well. And and like I was saying, that thing about leaving, or not leaving a band, but like leaving the the band kind of mindset where everyone's like agreeing and telling each other what is cool. It just felt easy then when I had other people in the room with me where they were like, that's the cool thing. And I was like, oh, brilliant. This is what I needed was like, it's something I'd like to do in the long run is just like play with as many different people. Like I, that's probably my band, my live band. And they're, they're, my, they're my guys. They're my children. Um, shout out to the big children. But I would like to work with other, like I have so many friends who are musicians and I just think they're all really talented. And I'd love to do stuff with them. Um, and if I'm, if I'm going to be like a solo name or solo artist, that just should 
bring the the possibility of working with lots of different people and enjoying the process of making music in a way that's different to being in like a band that has a name on its and it stands on its own and everyone agrees that we're the four people in the band you know I forgot to ask when we were talking about the actual um, title, Teenage Jesus, the artwork as well for the album is brilliant too. Do you want to talk about that? It seems uh, important. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's by Annie Forrester, who also did the, the my EP cover. Uh, she's brilliant. Um, I got her a few years ago. The first time I ever asked her to do something, I got her to make a piece of artwork for my girlfriend. It was like the plums. Oh my God, I'm not going to remember the name of the poet. You know that it, it was kind of like going around viral on Twitter for a while, it was like the the poem about the plums in the ice box. Do you know that one? I do not know that one. Well, it's a it kind of like a just a totally normal poem, but people were like changing the poem around. And I don't know why but my girlfriend got like such a kick out of it. So I asked Annie to do like like kind of a drawing of plums in an ice box and just have a laugh with it. And then I was like, I just was like, oh my god, she's so imaginative and great. So yeah, she did these kind of characters that are on the front of the album and the EP. Um, and there's something just so like sloppy about them that I was like, that's that really like sums up how I want to present it, <laughs> I guess. And it's you on the album cover in triple denim. In triple it? denim, yeah. Like I do know Annie from when I was, uh, when we were younger, like even she was in, in, she was younger than me, she was in school with me. So I don't know, I didn't ask her to like draw me on the album cover, but she did draw this character with long hair and I was like oh my god that's how I I had big long hair when I was in school you know um so I don't know if she purposely drew a weird version of me or not <laughs> oh okay you're you're not sure if it's actually you on the yeah I kind of like if it is <laughs> yeah. yeah but yeah the triple denim is is a nice touch <laughs> <laughs> Nancy and Lee you already mentioned this a little bit Lee Hazelwood and Nancy Sinatra mm. this is about where this seems like um maybe a little bit different to your other writing is it it's kind of character driven kind of not yeah. personal um yeah it's definitely like the idea for the song was <laughs> I was a bit like the friday night lights thing i was like there's this thing where people throw themselves into a story or they see themselves in the song and i i know you know from experience people kind of make decisions based on like i saw this movie and it really inspired me you know so i thought this idea of a song where like someone hears a a song a breakup song and they're like I'm gonna do it I'm gonna break up with them and I was like well that's kind of interesting so I wanted to write that song for ages and then I ended up being like well what if I'm like I'm being like what's the, I'm the person in the song saying like what did you hear that made you break up with me like you're you're now like blaming the song rather than the person who broke up with you and I actually really couldn't deal with that song for a long time but I kept I'd throw it randomly into sets and people would be like that song's great I'm like, nah, it's weird. I can't. I haven't figured out who the character is in the song. I haven't figured out who's singing to who. And then I did write a little middle eight at the very end, and it just like tied it all together. And now, yeah, I think I'm gonna release that like just before the album comes out as a, as a last single. It's very different to the rest of the album. It's recorded different. It's actually, I think it was the last song we recorded together, and it's played live. The whole thing's played live. I think. Apart from, well, no, me and Rory playing bass and um, Paul playing drums all played together on that one. Uh, where the rest we would do it kind of one by one. So that's a different vibe to it, yeah.
in hearing when artists talk about you know they have a song for ages and they don't know what to do with it and then like you said with Nancy and Lee you just write a middle eight and then boom it's done like is that something that you're always aware of when you're writing that like I don't need to finish this song I can like put it in the cupboard for a while and just like come back to it whenever I need and eventually it'll get finished or it's just like the learning curve of the song as well we've said learning curve so often on this, on this <laughs> yeah. episode I think life is just a learning curve um <laughs> yeah i don't know i think i think now i'm like i see it more like a skill that i've learned over time and that i can put something down now and and think about it later like i have a i used to have to write the song in the first sitting or else i would feel like the the gold is the dust is going to be gone when i come back you know um but now i see it more like um like songwriting is like cooking where it's like a skill that you're like oh you can get better at that over time and you can kind of like grow your tastes and change your your kind of viewpoint i guess um i definitely feel like writing this album like i've previously written with robbie who's in the shaker hymn so he would give me chords and i'd write something so it wasn't just writing lyrics i'd have to be like okay well now i need to figure out what what chords go there and that wouldn't always come naturally um, or sometimes I'd try things out a lot and just be really like what I do now is I play songs live to see if I hate the feeling of playing it because I've done that in the past where I play a song and I'm like oh it didn't feel good like I felt like maybe like the voice I was using was not me or I felt like I was trying to be a different type of songwriter which isn't me as well is it just the reaction of the crowd that you're looking towards the song when you play it live or is it just no it's like, like how it actually feels to you it's internal yeah because oh, like with that song nancy and lee i always felt internally like that's really making me feel sick <laughs> and then but people would be like oh it's a lovely song you know um so that's a weird one because i kept playing it even though because i was like there is something there mm. i just can't figure it and i don't know why it makes me feel bad but there are songs that i've written um, and I've played them live, and I was just like, wow, that felt horrible, and I don't know what. Oh, it, wow. Yeah, so I've just cut them out. And and do you, like, dump them, forget about them forevermore, or, like, you're, you're always thinking, ah, they're just a middle eight away from <laughs> completion? There is another, there's a, there's a song that's not on this album that I just brought back recently, and it took me years and years to figure out. Um, again, I wrote a middle eight, and I was like, yeah, that kind of ties it together a bit more. 
Uh, I guess, yeah, maybe sometimes I play them live and I'm like, I feel crap about the song, but it's probably just because it's not finished or I haven't figured out what it's for. <laughs> mm. uh, push Away the Oil, great lap steel guitar in mm. this, very country uh, yeah. as well, and another bit of a protest song too. Who is playing the lap steel on this? That's, is it you? Uh, no, that's Steely Dave, David Murphy. Steely Dave. <laughs> Steely Dave, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was put when I was putting his name on the credits. I was like, "What the hell is Steely Dave's surname?" <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, Steely Dave. Um, yeah, again, he, another one that I like sent it off during lockdown, and he was he just was like, "Yeah, let's put some ideas on that." Um, and yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, he also plays lap steel on Nancy and Lee, and yeah, just wouldn't. I'd love to play lap steel, man. It's <laughs> such a good sound, and he's like, he's the as far as I'm concerned, the best in the country at that. So it was, yeah, an honor to have him on it. Yeah, that song's, uh, that's another one that took me a while to enjoy playing live. Um, it's, yeah, it's it started as me being like, I'm going to try to play the slowest country song. Like real, like 8 BPM kind of stuff. And I would try to, I used it during live gigs to like slow the set down kind of. Um that was before Leah started singing with me. And then when she sang with me, I felt like, oh, I was like, well, she she's really makes the song like what it is. I think like the harmonies and her her voice is kind of standalone in parts of that song, which is really interesting. And yeah, she's amazing. There are great harmonies on this album as well. So that was like one of the keys to you figuring out what Keelan Sherlock, the artist, was going to be. It was kind of like seeing what Leah did with. Yeah, I think Leah really helped me like with like confidence about singing in that like when she sang with me I was like that really kind of elevates it to to a different place um and she is someone I trust a lot with her like musical opinions and we've worked together on weird projects over the years for many different things and then I think we were at a new year's party and I was like what's your new year's resolution and she was like I want to play a gig again and I was like what the hell why did you tell me that before like I would have you playing gigs with me years ago <laughs> um so she was like I'm gonna do we said we'd do one gig and then we rehearsed and I just her she's got a beautiful voice um so yeah she I think she is she really helps what the sound of what the album is and what the band is now have you mentioned everybody else who plays on the album all of the big children Leah, Paul, Rory on bass. They're the main, they're the live band Big Children. Then uh, Shane Murphy, who plays drums with The Shaker Him, he's play, he plays on Candidate, actually. Um, I, don't, I think he does percussion on the last song as well. Um, who else am I forgetting? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot, like there's a... Oh, Rory McCarthy is playing keys uh, on a lot of the songs. He... Plays in the shaker room now as well. He kind of is a session musician in Cork and Dermot McCarrig, who used to be in Shukra and he's in Cork Beats, is his new kind of thing. Um, he played on the early, he actually played live with me early. He was the first person to play any gigs with me. Um, and then he moved to London, uh, like everybody. Um, so yeah, that, I think that's everybody. I hope I'm not forgetting anyone. He's got a great band as well, doesn't he, in London? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, he's gonna. We're gonna play a gig together in London on the sixth of August. I think. Oh, great! Class. And he's playing quarter as well. It's gonna be his oh. first gig doing Cork beats. Full circle. Yeah. Um, Sucker for love and don't let me forget about her are both together on the album. These are also two older songs. It feels intentional that you've kind of grouped these kind of love songs mm. together. It just sounded right 
putting them together on the album like this? They seem like they're almost speaking to Yeah, they were written around the same time as well. I think they have similar kind of production. I think we recorded them at the same time. So they just felt like they were kind of like twin twin sisters. They needed <laughs> to belong together. Um, Sucker for Love is... Actually, I think that's mixed. It's a Christian Best. They're both not mixed by Brendan. That's another thing that the reason. One is mixed by Christian Best, who does a lot of stuff with McFlannery, and the other one's mixed by Dan Fox from Girlband. Oh, wow, class. Um, so, yeah, they, they kind of have a slightly different edge to them in the in the mixing and the production and stuff. Was it nice getting something mixed by Daniel Fox? Yeah, it was cool. I, I can't remember. What, I think Brendan was just really busy, and I wanted to get the song out, and... Like, I've known Dan a good while, and I did always think, like, I'd love to get him involved. But what See he, his kind of work. Yeah, what yeah. What he would do with you. Totally. And um, what he does is a lot more kind of hard-edged than, than the songs on this album. So I was interested. I would love to do something, but I don't know if I have the uh, the punk rock songs for, for doing stuff with Dan yet. There'll I'd like be, to see him do, like, you know, something like a country album or something like that. Yeah, I mean, he's done stuff with Paddy Hanna, I think, mm. right? So he's got it in the wheelhouse for sure. Um, yeah, it was good. It was. It's good to get other people's voices as well. And it ga- again, it gave me a little bit of confidence having people who weren't in the kind of immediate circle. Same with Christian. Um, actually, Christian rang me when I was when he was mixing it, and he was like, "I just feel like the outro is too long." I was like rad i love that yeah cool and he was like i can cut it out if you want so that's why that song just kind of ends <laughs> abruptly um but yeah I, I mean we did record with christian with the shaker him a few years ago so i do know him well enough to have that chat but i loved that he was like hey i haven't heard any of this till right now but i think we should just cut the outro off and he was right as well it was way too long <laughs> mm. how autobiographical are they dare i ask yeah they're not really they're a bit like nancy and lee in that they have kind of a character probably at the center of them um, I am a bit self-deprecating in the way that Sucker for Love is. Um, I just thought, like, it's more interesting to be, like, pathetic in a song <laughs> yeah, than like it is to be... Yeah, like help me get over myself. Yeah. Um, like, some, like do, you know, do you ever think if you were in a TV show, you always think you'd be, like, the, the fun... Like, if you were in Seinfeld, <laughs> like, you think you're going to be Seinfeld, but you're actually George. <laughs> And you're actually not really the straight person, the straight man, you know. You're the weirdo. Yeah, the one that everybody laughs at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What yeah, a loser. <laughs> yeah. And once I realized that, it made writing songs a lot easier. <laughs> because, like, writing songs and being a musician is, like, intolerably embarrassing in general, I think. <laughs> so often I'm just like, wow, that's so embarrassing. So just looking at, like, all of, all of the songs, we still have one more to go. They're not really that autobiographical, so are they? There's probably a little bit in all of them. I, I guess when someone goes from like St. Keelan to your real name that you think you're going to get maybe an autobiographical thing. but I I think it's more that I like the differences. I feel like more like crafted at being able to write songs. And so now I think I, I'm better at being like, this is what this is going to be about. And I can like finish that idea. When I was starting, when I was younger, it was more like straight off my brain, off my heart, total heart on the sleeve kind of stuff, which is like interesting for a while. But but it's not what like my favorite songwriters do. And it's not really my favorite way of writing songs or you're like, you know, I don't mean for me. I mean, when I listen to like the masters, 
their best songs are like you know Bob Dylan like writing Hurricane you're like wow that's that is an amazing skill he has I don't get as much of a buzz off like I just feel this really hard right now which is actually unfortunate because I think that's what people are into a lot right now um, is like highly emotional it's like the post Taylor Swift kind of effect or whatever you, you see that a lot with like Billie Eilish and um, like a lot of pop singers right now it's like really super hyper emotional um, and then I'm going in the other direction <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Good luck to me. <laughs> so so finally, Surgery Bell, the ninth and final song. Why did you only stick with nine songs? It just felt like they were the, as a collection, they all worked together. Um, I, I have like a, I had a few other ones recorded and it, it just was like pushing a boulder up a hill. It just felt unnecessary and it didn't work with the rest of the songs. Specifically, there was another one called Poor Old Poor Mouth, which would probably be the like lead on another, on a second album. But it just didn't work at all. It was kind of more country folk rock or something. I mean, like Push Away the Oil is kind of country, but it, it, it vibed with the rest of the songs perfectly. The other ones I was trying to fit in there just didn't work at all. And then Surgery Bell actually is a, is really old. Is this the oldest song of the album. Oh, I'd say. okay. It um, also sounds like it's the most fun as well that yeah, you have on it. Like yeah, there's I, flute. I've, I think that that's played by Leah. There's well, flute it? like on there, it. It's almost Anchorman type. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the one where me and Brendan went to like the nth degree on like being ridiculous with the <laughs> Nobody production. Nobody said stop this time. No one said stop. <laughs> and I remember I brought it home and I played it to like my girlfriend and, my, and our housemate Roisin. And they both like rolled their eyes so hard. <laughs> they were like, that is ridiculous. There's no need for that. And then there's like kind of like a a piano solo at the end that's really like just over the top kind of Spanish sounding or something. Um, yeah, it was great. I think because it was a super old song, I wasn't like, that's actually kind of more an autobiographical song, but it took years for me to, it was like too autobiographical. That I couldn't play it live. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wait, if I play it instead of playing it in this country way, I could play it like more like, like a dance song. I tried to make it like kind of the, the, the happy ending song of the album. And then that just like opened all these doors to different sounds that we could go with and different kind of drum patterns and stuff. Um, and like the bass kind of sounds like Come On Eileen. And there's all these just like weird references that we, we were just like having a laugh thinking about. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like the perfect album closer, I think. <laughs> so this is your debut solo album, but it's far from the first album that you've ever worked on. I'm presuming this is like album number six or seven maybe for you like that you've actually been involved with uh, yeah it's album five i think yeah like how how does it feel now looking back on it is this does this feel like a particular achievement maybe yeah it feels like i was and... yeah it feels like i was working towards this the whole time without really knowing it um and like a lot a lot of work went into the consideration of it in a way that I probably hadn't had to before because it's my name and because I'm kind of like, like I was saying about the opt out thing during lockdown, there was a point where I just thought like, okay, well, if you're in, you're going to be doing this for life. So like make your intentions really clear with everything and make sure that you're like pleased with everything you're doing and kind of become more of a control freak, which is, <laughs> which is difficult, but it's kind of just what it takes. I think if you're going to, if you're going to do it properly. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot more intention with this album, I guess. That could be doing disrespect to a lot of the stuff I did in the past with like the Shake Your Hymn and um, 
maybe it's just it's like recency bias or whatever but um it definitely feels not not necessarily in the songwriting like i i always gave a lot of attention to that but the whole kind of packaging of it and understanding who i am like a lot of time had to go into that <laughs> before i could release something with my own name i think yeah and it sounds like you've you're working on a second album i don't know how far along you are in it um i've only started and actually i had this thing because there's this thing now with it's all like content like music unfortunately has this kind of like content thing where you kind of need to be um doing it regularly and frequently because I don't know, the algorithm kicks you out or whatever so mac demarco released a album of i think it's b-sides rarities or something it's 199 songs okay god i think that, that might Friday. be a bit overkill mac <laughs> um oh, i'll give that a listen on my drive home to cork yeah, it is kind of a little bit unfortunate. There's a weird thing, I think, with releasing music where you need to be releasing it kind of frequently for the online space. They want to, the, the, the overlords want to see you releasing stuff a lot. But then IRL, people want albums and they want, like, even in terms of, like, trying to promote yourself if you're, like, sending stuff out to radio and you're like, oh, this guy just releases singles every so often. Like, what am I meant to throw my hat on here? So it's trying to balance those two things where where you're where you're in real life just doing like the thing that that connects with people and then also trying to do enough that you're recording and releasing stuff frequently enough but without making anything throw away i think that's probably going to be the difficult thing so i have a few songs that i'll probably release that aren't on this album that are in that vein and then maybe next year i'll have another album that's kind of shaping up to be a bit softer i would say cool well congrats on teenage jesus and Best of luck. Thank you very much. With it. Trail of denial, one that's passing me by. 